In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every other Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell is here to talk with us about ESP Enigma. She has a book out there. And I am just really excited to talk with you, Diane, because you have obviously a lot of credentials, a lot of education out there and experience in neurochemistry, biophysics, neuropsychology. You've spoken at multiple conferences on television shows, on popular TV shows out there. And also, you've done a lot of really awesome work with victims of sexual abuse, genocide, terrorism, and everything else. So I just feel like with everything else that's going on in the world, not only just to share your experience with the world and your story, but what we can do in our day-to-day lives and how we can maybe apply some of these practices that you share within your book would be really beneficial to folks. So thank you for joining the show and being a guest. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Where we like to start out first and foremost with anybody is just like how you got into your line of work, what really drove you or inspired you to lead this kind of effort and and dig into your field. Well, let me, I mean, because as you've mentioned, I really have done multiple things. So I could start with discussing how I became interested in trauma um, and, and then I'll get into the ESP later. Sure. As a, as a small child, I was living in New Jersey when they were, um, having air raid drills because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so there was this, uh, this threat of World War III back then. So there was this trauma from that. And my school was also one of the schools that was, uh, integrated. And so there were racial riots at my school. And then on top of that, I just was aware of various friends of mine who had experienced severe trauma, people who had been abused. And I really wanted to to help people who've had that experience. And so when people started coming to me, um, when I went into private practice, and so many of them were people who had been um, sexually assaulted as children and sometimes by family members, I ended up, whatever I, whatever I get involved in, I do a lot of research and I want to really understand it in great depth. And so I became an expert on that. And then I was asked to be um, the medical director of a women's center that was just starting up. And it was a wonderful experience because 
back then in inpatient psychiatry, we could admit somebody and have them there for a full 30 days and you could do programming. And I saw such tremendous healing that I, I found it extremely rewarding to see these people who really could barely leave their bed become functional people. I mean, what, you know, one of my patients went on to become a therapist. Um, just to, to give you one example of a success story. And there were a lot of people I worked with that just thought they could never marry because they were so afraid of men. And once again, the healing and they went on to get married and have children. And so, so to see people go from that and, and the transformation was really, um, rewarding. Okay. And then on, top of that, I've always had an interest in different cultures and the influence that that culture has on somebody's development. And so I've done international work. I've gone over to places where there's significant history of genocide. And um, so, for example, I went to the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union and worked with people who had survived the the purges by Stalin. And there were these, you know, these mass graves over there. And, and so I was doing the therapeutic work with them and gone to other places. I was in practice in England for a period of time and, and saw people internationally there that uh, had these interesting cultures in which I learned something from them. I, I learned that there's, that there's just this really, this, this, these different philosophical and spiritual beliefs that helped them in their healing process. And, and in fact, what I also saw was that a lot of the people who had been traumatized actually um, experienced what they considered God or the divine at the time that they were traumatized, which I found fascinating as well. For example, this one um, this one woman who was had a gun to her head, and she she thought for sure she was a goner. She was she was in um, Africa where there was a civil war going on, and and I worked I worked with a lot of people from Rwanda and Burundi, which is where the Hutus and the Tutsis mm, were yeah. fighting with one another, which and, is just tragic in and of itself. Like the whole story, and just not even back then, but even now, it's scary. Right. And I would hear of these stories of people who, when I'd ask them, well, how did you make it through that? And, and, and they would tell me about this experience they had with the divine and they really felt that they had been saved. So that's one piece. And so when I was asked when I was in San Diego and I had this background of both cross-cultural work and trauma, when I was asked to create a program for survivors of torture, um, that's, that's what I did. And, um, and once again, worked with the Lost Boys of Sudan. Um, if, if anyone knows that story of these, this civil war in which these kids had their family members murdered and they were, you know, taking the, the boys and then putting them into the army. You know? And, um, so a lot of them in the thousands just took off and started walking just to, to exit the country. And a lot of them died along the way. Um, but, but many of them ended up in a refugee camp and then were uh, brought back to the United States. When it comes to the ESP, how I got involved in that was that I really truly believe as someone who's studied neuroscience and who's studied consciousness that 
if we want to understand the brain's relationship to consciousness, we have to understand it in in all of its um, experiences. We we can't discount something just because it doesn't fit with our current model. And the first time I became aware that there might be something else going on was when I was about 13 or 14. And a friend of mine who had a summer job uh, traveling with the circus with a magician told me that his this magician was coming into town. He's like, you've got to meet this person. You just absolutely have to meet him. And what happened when I met him is that he was standing across the room from me in the living room of my friend's house. And behind me was this bookcase full of hundreds, several hundred books. And he said to me, pick up any book and start reading it and I'll read it to you. And so I'm here holding this book and he's reading it to me word for word. And (laughs) I'm just like, oh my God, how'd you do that? And then I put it, it goes, get another book. And I pulled another book and opened it up and once again, he did the same thing. And so did he have like a photographic memory, you think, looking back or was it what was he getting from that? Well, I mean, I was holding the book such that he wouldn't have seen what page it was. I mean, so I really couldn't make sense of it. And when I asked him, how'd you do that? He said, oh, it's magic. And I I, I just thought, well, you know, that magicians never tell their tricks. And so I told my father about it. And and my father was a scientist with multiple graduate degrees in science, and I really respected him. And he said to me, well, there's this, um, there's this phenomenon called telepathy, but it's very, very controversial, but that's what it sounds like to me. And that was something that I just put in the back of my mind, but I really didn't know what to do with it because I had never experienced anything like that. And, and I didn't experience anything like that until years later when I was on faculty at Harvard and I was asked to evaluate this woman who wanted to sign out of the hospital against medical advice. And if somebody is insane, they they really aren't considered to be competent to make that decision. So that's, that's one of the circumstances under which they'll ask the psychiatrist to do an evaluation. And when I went in to see her, I mean, the first thing she said to me is that she um, she was seeing all these ghosts and it was freaking her out and she really wanted to leave the hospital. And I said, well... <laughs> Which don't I, mean I, I to said, laugh, but that's probably most people's worst nightmare when they're like, they want to share something like that with a doctor, but then they're afraid that they're going to be deemed crazy or weird or not with it, Right. That's the exact opposite of what you say to a psychiatrist <laughs> if you're trying to convince them that you're sane enough to leave the hospital. Yeah. And um, and she had been admitted for a potential heart attack. And that's, I mean, I didn't want this woman to go home and die. I mean, it wasn't one of these conditions that you'd say, oh, okay, well, just go get followed up with your doctor. And because, and back then, it took a day or two to get the lab work back to have you know whether or not a heart attack had happened because we would we would um, assess the enzymes that would get released due to heart damage. And so you had to wait to see if they peaked. And 
I said to her, well, well, let's just sit down and talk. I understand that this place is disturbing for you. I really want to, you know, know more about you. And she said, oh, well, I'm a psychic, but I'm not professionally uh, involved in that. She said, I just do it for friends and family. And um, I said, oh, that's interesting. And she said, oh, I was born with this call over my face. And, and a call is when the um, part of the placenta is over the face and it it actually cuts off your oxygenation. And so it's one of the causes of somebody having to be um, resuscitated as a, as a child or another one is having the umbilical cord around their neck. And she said to me that, that she was half Native American and, and she was half African American and that in the Native American tradition, there were also were people that were psychic um, in her lineage. And I was I think they're more open to it a lot in that culture too, because that tends to be with the Native Americans, their heritage. Like they talk about it more about being close with earth and mother nature and spirits and everything. So it's probably also part of it too, right? Exactly. Exactly. At this point, I'm thinking, well, you know, this woman really um, probably does have some you know, some form of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And I, I wanted to know a little bit more about her so that I could actually give her diagnosis. Cause you don't just go in and, you know, you know say, oh, she's crazy. And then, you know, you, ha- you have to say what way. It- There's scientific practices. <laughs> <laughs> right. In, in, in what way is she out of touch with reality? And then what happened was, is that she started to, she started looking at me and she goes, you have this light around me, around you. And she said, and I'm getting a reading about you. Do you mind if I share it? I said, no, go ahead. Yeah, sure. What, What do you see here? And she said, well, your husband's a chemist. And what's interesting is that he was a biochemist. Mm. And then she said, and he's applying for a job in two different cities right now. And that very week, he was going to be going back to Baltimore, which is where we met at Johns Hopkins, uh, to apply for a postdoc and also an oncology fellowship. But he was the other place he was interested in was San Diego at UCSD. And so now she has my interest because she said two cities. And it was really narrowed down to those two places. And so I said, really? Okay, what, what cities? And she said, well, name some and I'll tell you. And so I named off 10 different cities and she goes, San Diego. She goes, you're going to end up in San Diego. And that is where we ended up. Whoa. And she also told me that I would only have one child and it would be a daughter. And years later, that's what happened. I only ended up having one daughter. I had wanted more children than that. But I had such a problem with migraines during my pregnancy that it was really hard for me to um, imagine getting pregnant again after that. So the doctor um, becomes like the patient in this situation where she's like giving you these insights. mm -hmm. And then what happened? Like what was what was her story? Can you share that? Like so you were evaluating her and whether or not she could leave. Right. So so what happened was is that I said to her, I said, okay. I said, I am amazed at what you've just told me. And she said, and I also know that my blood tests are going to come back normal. So you might as well just let me go now. And I said, well, (laughs) you're asking me to do a little too much here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
And she said, well, I really like you. And if you promise that you'll come by and see me again tomorrow, I'll stay. And she did. And her blood work came back normal. And then she went home. And one of my, one of my biggest regrets is that I don't know how to get a hold of, I didn't know how to get a hold of this woman afterwards. I, well, she's listening to the show. Reach out, let us know. And that would be great. But yeah. Oh my goodness. So was that like your first kind of, as a doctor, more or less a validation personally to you that there was more to this? Cause like you, it sounds like as a child and then, and then also through your, you know, your teachings and your education, like you still had that door open, but this to me almost sounds like it solidified it a little bit for you. It did. It did. Yeah. I would say that it's, it's sort of like the meeting the, the magician when I was young, it's almost like that cocked the gun and then (laughs) for the race, you know, this is what fired the bullet. I was just like, I have really got to understand this. And because I had studied physics, I was aware of the transformation in the field of physics that had occurred back in the um, 19, you know, 1900s with Einstein and Niels Bohr and, and how our understanding of reality is really an illusion because most atoms are predominantly space and and, and physical, said, like physical sight, right? For people. Physical sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, so we have this illusion that everything is solid. And then our perception of time is also an illusion, which is what Einstein's work showed us. So I thought, well, I want to come up with a way of uniting these, these, these fields in a way that makes scientific sense. And one of the things I did was I wanted to see, has anybody done any research on uh, telepathy or precognition or some of these other abilities? And what I saw was that there is a lot of research that's been done on it. And it's not for lack of research that has what I consider to be conclusive findings. It's that there's this huge... Um, stigma to the whole field such that it's next to impossible to get it into what are the standard um, science journals. Would you say that it's because from a scientific practice, from what I understand, not being doctor or anything, but that it's based on experiments and how often those experiments can be repeated. And so that's usually like, so they're looking for just, I guess, consistency between those. And in a lot of cases, when you're dealing with the supernatural and there's so many different variables that that isn't necessarily something in in theory and scientific community that can be proven without a shadow of a doubt because that consistency or those variables may not be throughout the process. Is that part of the reason or is it literally because the stigma and the ego and where we're at medically? I would say that it's coming from a couple of uh, factors. One is that the model in, in neuroscience is what we call materialistic, meaning that um, consciousness is just a byproduct of the brain. We don't really understand how it's a byproduct of the brain, but it's just a product of that. And once once someone dies, that's it. And so 
if you're looking at some of these phenomena, they really, they, they defy that, that way of thinking about it. Because, I mean, how can you have somebody connecting with someone else's consciousness if their consciousness is all confined within their brain somehow? Right. Okay. So that's, that's number one. And then I would say another reason is that a lot of people are scared by these phenomena. Uh, many of the parents of the autistic uh, children that I um, evaluate for telepathy find it rather disturbing that their child can read their mind. And so that's, so that's a lot of people like to think of their thoughts as being more private than that. When you had mentioned the, the fact that the magician could read the book, have you, I'm sure you probably have, but have you seen that documentary, Superhuman? No, I haven't actually. Oh, you have to watch it. It's amazing. It's um, on Amazon Prime and part of, there's this company out there and they do these experiments where they basically, they blindfold people and both children and adults. And then they are teaching you to use your consciousness to read a book without your actual sight. So with your consciousness sight versus your physical eyesight. And that's probably what, like your dad said it was telepathy, but it was probably using that skill set, that physical sense versus your spiritual kind of sense, I guess, what you could call it maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you could articulate it. There's a phenomenon called astral projection. And that's when someone's consciousness goes somewhere else and then comes back. And that's what remote viewing is, is when, when people would um, be asked to identify a target that somebody elsewhere is looking at, or even they're just given the... Um, and that's part of it too, yeah. <laughs> they're remote viewing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which the or government has given- studied for like 30 years, right? Right, right. It was funded by all of these different branches, military intelligence. And some of the remote viewers could just be given the address or the, the, the geophysical coordinates and they could describe it. Oftentimes what they would do is they would do both verbal description as well as a drawing of it. So anyway, so with astral projection, then, I mean, it's, it's possible that it wasn't telepathy. It's possible that he had projected his consciousness um, such that he's there behind me looking at the book. Which is just wild to think that he's physically conscious at that time. It's not like he's gone to sleep and he's meditating or anything that he's there and then he can shoot his mind or his consciousness and then be standing there and reading it behind you. That's mind boggling to me in a good way, but. It is. It really is mind boggling. I I had a patient um, who was somebody who could simultaneously be walking in his body and seeing things from the perspective from, you know, the, the physical eyes, but then he also simultaneously would see the perspective from up above. Wow. That's really cool. And there, there are people that have these abilities that, I mean, they really defy our sense of how things work. Another person that it is Kim Peek, who is the savant that Rain Man was modeled after. And he was born with a condition in which the connection between his left and his right hemisphere was, um, that, that the connection was not there. He had um, hydrocephalus. There's like a, not a buffer, like a like usually that connection would probably provide a buffer, but he didn't have that, right? Is that how you maybe would describe it? 
Well, it's the, the, the major, the corpus callosum is the, the major band of fibers that connect the two. And the left hemisphere, which is our analytical, you know, logical, um, more linear way of thinking, that part of the brain inhibits the right hemisphere, which is the more creative and intuitive part, part of the brain. And, and so, and Kim Peek, he, what was really remarkable about him was his, he had this amazing memory, despite all the disconnection in his brain, he had this memory in which he could recite word for word, 12,000 books backwards and forwards. And yet his brain is missing this major connection between the two halves. And, and, and a lot of the theory about memory has to do with connectivity. That once two synapses, you know, the memory is formed and then it's reinforced and then that circuitry gets reactivated when you have a trigger. So that, that's a lot of the thinking about how memory works. But then it's like, well, how, how does this work when you have somebody who has a big cavity in the middle of their brain? But then on top of that, his eyes could read two books simultaneously, one with each eye. So similar to the person who could see things from up above and see them, you know, in body perspective um, simultaneously. I mean, he's there, he's got like a bicameral mind where he's literally having two minds simultaneously. Is there more openness now, like in the scientific community with this, or is there still that fear that you had kind of mentioned earlier about people like either one, diving in more to it to understand, but then to being more vocal and sharing their perspective or their scientific opinion, their medical opinion. Well, what's happened is, is that, so my, my book, The ESP Enigma, actually came out in, two, the paperback in 2008 and the hardback in uh, 2009. And even though that book was well received. It, it was got great reviews from the three major literary reviewers. It was published by a major publishing company in the science division. And it was um, purchased by a lot of university libraries and even was used by somebody as a textbook in a course that he taught um, at a university. So even though that was going on, at the same time, I had my medical board wonder if I had gone off the deep end because they heard I had written a book about ESP. Yeah, I was going to say, because you sound like, you know, well, you are the real deal. You're very legit in your field. And then you write this. And then there probably were a lot of people like questioning it either by fear or just not understanding and doubt because they hadn't experienced what you had experienced. And you probably were very ahead of your time, as are a lot of people that are pioneers in this kind of field, both in the supernatural and metaphysical, that are trying to bridge that gap between the scientific and the medical community and the spiritual, right? That's right. I mean, whenever you are on the cutting edge of something, you've got to take the flack. I mean, it, it's you got to wear a flax suit basically because, because that's how you make progress is by having the courage to go out there and say it and convince people of it. it you know, and it, people don't just get convinced overnight. It takes time. And so what I've seen, my book's been out now for 12, over 12 years. And I've seen a lot of change occurring, not just because of my work, but because of a lot of other really top-notch scientists who, like myself, 
saw this as a legitimate level of inquiry. Many of them were like um, Dean Radin, were, were trained in electrical you know, engineering and so, or physics. And so like me, the, the physics component it, it enabled them to embrace it more easily. The reason why I was such a threat was because I'm a psychiatrist and we're the ones who determine who's sane and who's not sane. And so if I've gone off the, I've, I've got off the deep end, then. <laughs> and you're validating other people that then it's like a little bit more of a danger to what they're potentially thinking or feeling or putting out there as quote unquote fact, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, from what I've seen as a psychiatrist, I mean, what, what happens is, unfortunately, if you are highly psychic, you, you oftentimes can exhibit a lot of behaviors that make people think that something's wrong with you because, because we don't live in, in a world in which that you can talk about that very easily. And, and then, and they oftentimes have that they're just lacking a filter. And, and they mm-hmm. just get so bombarded. And I love that you say that. I mean, I don't love that you say that because I don't want necessarily people to go through that. But that's exactly the whole reason I wanted to start this podcast was to let people know that they're not alone and that they don't have to feel so weird. Because even though we are in 2021, soon to be 2022, there's just so, so many stigmas out there and so many myths and misconceptions. And people boxing others into what is quote unquote natural or normal and making sure like you just said, like I think courage is probably one of the biggest words out of anything is like to stand in your truth and to be courageous, to be able to go out there. And I really applaud doctors such as yourself and want to thank you because it's hard. Like when you're going out and you're trying to like get help mentally for your mental or emotional support when there's a doctor out there that's ready to just write you a script (laughs) and say, you need medication or maybe you're a little bit crazy and you need to be committed or whatever else. It also is hard for you to then trust because you want to be able to tell it whether you have the filter or not, right? To be able to trust, to say what is really truly going on for you guys to be able to dig into the the actual crux of it, right? Because there's so much spiritual and then physical happening that you do need that support team around you, that medical team that can kind of help you and the holistic team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my great uncle said that courage is the most important virtue because without it, then you can't adhere to any of the others. And that is so true. And I am concerned about the, the current time that we're living in because what you're seeing is so many people are being silenced. Um, and it's so easy to silence somebody by social stigma and shaming them. Yeah, cancel culture is real. Mental stigma and awareness about what's out there with health is, is out, you know, is, is an, is a real thing. And so exactly that, the shaming, the judgment. So just being able to know that there's a safe place for people to talk about it, but then also to reach out to practitioners like yourself is very important for just people to know that, that you exist. So really appreciate it. But so as far as your book, while we have the remaining time, Please share with us, like, what are some of the things that you would recommend or that you walk people through in your book? Well, my book is, it basically has um, several different things that it's doing. Uh, One is it's giving a sort of a, a quick review of the research that's out there that I was impressed by that I thought, okay, this was 
to me, very, very well done. And like the remote viewing research. And validating. Um, right. And validating or, or dream telepathy or twin telepathy. And then other chapters are talking about things like chaos theory and string theory and quantum physics, but doing it in a way that people tell me is very accessible for someone who doesn't have that background. Because I really wanted to make these these more challenging topics comprehensible. So for example, if you think about what does, a lot of people have heard of chaos theory. Some people call chaos theory the butterfly effect, that if you have a butterfly flapping its wings and it's like, well, how does that work that a butterfly flapping its um, wings over here can cause a hurricane on the other side of the world? Well, it's because everything is interconnected. We're all connected. Yeah. We're all connected. So, and then talking about quantum physics and, and one of the things that the physicists discovered a long time ago is the effect that consciousness has on the material world. So I, I talk about the double slit experiment in which if you are, say, um, you have two slits uh, in a screen and behind it you have another screen that's going to record any light that, that hits it. And if you're, you're taking a photon emitter and you're emitting the photons, then what you see is that if you are observing it, if you're measuring it, then they go in one slit or the other, okay? And you'll see these patches. Which blows my mind that like you can literally, so when, when she says observing, so literally like by you focusing just your eye or your attention to a, one specific spot, even though that other thing could be right next to it, by you just looking at it, it magnifies it threefold or however many, right? And that to me just blows my mind. That's so cool to think about. It defines its location in space. Yes. But if you are not observing it and you just leave the apparatus in the room and come back, what you see is an interference pattern that suggests it went through both slits at the same time. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's where this um, statement that photons act as both a particle and a wave comes from, because it depends upon whether or not it's observed. To me, what's I think of waves when I think of light. So that wasn't that. Um, I mean, that's it's remarkable. The experiment's phenomenal. But what I found really interesting too is that if you do this same thing with electrons which is the negative particle that's in the, in the shell around the nucleus of an atom, okay, if you do this with electrons, they do the same thing. They'll, they'll act as a particle if they're being observed and they'll act like a wave of potentiality if they're not. Yeah, that's amazing. It's like there is this, in that documentary Superhuman, which hopefully you'll watch it and then email me or message me and let me know what you think, they did the same thing where there's a plant in a room and then they have this light and they don't direct the light to go in any one particular area, but they time it and they basically like just have it go equal parts around the room and they don't change it. But what ended up happening without any sort of cause and effect or human interaction, the the 
computer ends up starting to pull its attention towards the plant and naturally puts more light on the plant because just having that life source or that form there and knowing that the plant is either sending attention, intentions, I should say, or just in its in its existence is actually pulling more of the light there. So I feel like that's another way of just kind of thinking like how life and consciousness interact from an energetic standpoint. To me, it's really cool. I know you live and breathe this every day as a doctor and a scientist, but to me, it's like, oh, that's super cool to just know that that's something simple, but real, you know? You know, I can give you a little experiment that people can do to understand what I'm talking about um, is if you take polarized filters, if you take two polarized filters and you put them next to each other and you have light shining through, Okay. If they are at right angles to one another, if the, the, the polarized filters, what they do is they only allow light to come in and if it's got a certain directionality. And so if you put them at, at right angles to one another, you don't see any light coming through. Okay. And then when you put them at angles, you'll, you'll see that you'll see more light coming through. Okay. What's really interesting is if you take a third filter, and put it there, instead of it being darker because you're filtering out more light, Mm -hmm. you can have more light come through. And it's because of the fact that it's acting like a wave of potentiality. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you mentioned plants and plants are fascinating. I mean, there, there's, we're, we're learning so much more about the intelligence of plants. One experiment was that, that, that you can do Pavlovian conditioning with a plant. And Pavlovian conditioning is, I mean, the classic Pavlov had a, a bell that when he rang it and then served the dog a steak afterwards, the, the, the dog would salivate at just the sound of the bell. Okay. Well, what they did was is they took a plant that's in a, in a closet and they paired a light source with a, a soft breeze from a fan. And people who've had plants know that a plant will grow towards the light source because it seeks out the sun. Well, what they did was, is they, after pairing the light and the fan, then what they found was that the plant would grow towards the fan because it had, if there was no light in there, it would grow towards the fan because it had made that pairing. And that to me, it's like in the simplest form is to think, I mean, I know that there's intelligence at all levels, but whether it's plants or protons, electrons, that sort of thing, just to know that we are more complex beings, both physically and then spiritually on that level, should then hopefully kind of clue other people in to say that's why things are so complex in a lot of ways when we're trying to work through our, I want to say issues, but our experiences here on earth. And um, just to know that there is that level of, I guess, interconnectedness, as you had mentioned earlier, to know that we all have that and what options we have to work through it, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, we we are interconnected <laughs> and there's a tremendous power that comes from acknowledging that. And so this this world we're living in right now where everybody's being divided, a lot of that gives them more ability to control us and 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 disempowers us. And once you start to realize 
the, 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 how there's this collective consciousness that can be, um, capitalized on, you know, in a spiritual way, then there's so many things that can happen. There, there's just so many things that are possible. Do you think that that somewhat backfired a little bit? Because I do. I feel like in some cases we have been pulled apart and in the form of control in a lot of ways, which we could have a whole other episode and conversation on that. But also I feel like in a way, at least spiritually, it backfired because it's forced people to find new avenues and ways to grow and come and be within their own truth and to embrace and be empowered, not just with themselves, but with other people. Because we we sought it out. We searched for the, that those connections in ways that we may not have necessarily have been forced to do in the past. I really do believe that we all have a connection with the divine. It's just that it's hard for some people to to tap into that, but we we all have that potential and so so i i really think that what's happening now is that the world is so crazy and things there's so many things that don't make sense that a lot of people are doing a lot more of an inner journey now and and when you do that inner journey that that's that's when you can connect with the divine it's not out there see it's a mistake when people are looking out there and saying, well, where's God? You know, well, what do you expect? Do you expect to see some, you know, some gray-haired, bearded, you know, huge giant head in the sky? No, you know, it's not going to show up that way. It shows up in even the smallest ways in life if you are looking for it in the right places. Yes. And that's a powerful, powerful message. And I really appreciate you joining the show. And I wanted to just see if there was anything else that you're being led to share with listeners, whether it's related to your book or things that you just wanted to share. There's the book that I, um, that you've mentioned, the ESP Enigma. And I'm currently, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm working with some autistic savants and their family to, to write another book where I, I'm, I'm going to have each is going to be the story from the the family members who recognized that they were telepathic or precognitive that their story and then and then from the child's or the savant's perspective what what it's like that just gave me chills that's so cool and then uh, and then I'm going to be narrating it and 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 weaving it all together and I really think that these children are so misunderstood and um and it really Do you really think that there are higher there are higher um vibrations or like a different level of an evolution than we are Oh so many of them are so brilliant and they're very spiritually connected this is so you have these children that you might have a doctor or a teacher just th- thinks of them as being so handicapped that they thought that, oh, well, this child needs to be institutionalized. And when you have a parent who's just like, no, I'm not going to do that with my kid. I mean, I- I'm going to try to have him have his best of life as possible. And they, they put so much love and so much attention into that child that they're amazing. And oftentimes it it takes time for them. It's not until they're maybe, 
you know, in their teen years, that they're able to coordinate their bodies such that they can do the typing and, and express what they've been thinking. And, and what the parents typically find out is that they, they understood what's going on all along that, you know, that, that people assume that they don't understand language when it's really just their ability to express language that's difficult. It's like we're forcing them, they're higher, higher evolved species, I would think. And we're trying to force them into our form of communication when in reality, they probably know how to communicate all along. It's just they're trying to figure it out to get to our level, right? Down to our level in a bit to, to show that. Yeah, basically, basically that the human species is evolving. And I, I believe that, that they, that their consciousness is at a higher level. And so much of our educational system is trying to, you, you know, it, it's treating them like, you know, in a, in a dumbed down way. And, um, and, and so I, I think it's really important for their message to get out there. That's awesome. When is that going to be available? Are you, I mean, you're obviously still working on it now. Might I'm, be I'm working on it now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm working on well, it. Well, awesome. Now. I feel really good about it. So I'm super excited once you have it available. Just let me know and I'll definitely update people. But for anyone that is interested in reaching um, Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell, you can go to drdianehennessy.com. Her latest book is ESP Enigma, which we mentioned we talked about here on the show. I will make sure that I include it in the show notes. And just want to again, thank you for all the work that you are doing out there so that we reach our full human and spiritual potential and just for sharing your time with us. I oh. definitely am honored to have you on. Well, thank you. Thank you. And oh, I should say that um, if people want to purchase um, yes. my book, they should contact me because I, um, I I bought up all of the remaining copies. Oh, you except- did? Okay, good. I was just going to go on Amazon and try and buy one most recently. And then um, after this, and I realized that it wasn't available too. So I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Diane. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.